Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, a podcast where Peter Madison and David Shurrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello, Dave. How are you today? Excellent. Excellent. I'm even on the same time zone as you, so that means that I have no excuse for saying I'm a few hours behind you when we have our conversation. Ah, of course, so I don't have to be quite so far ahead. Then be, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it in the right zone. So, so what are we talking about today? Well, we touched on in the kind of preamble to this around design thinking. Maybe just so I know we've talked about design thinking before, just in the sort of the act of what it is or the principles of how to apply it, say within an agile delivery process, but. There's a lot of really great stuff that comes out of design thinking that gets diluted as it gets built up and actually delivered to customers. And I guess it's just trying to figure out how to be really impactful with pre-work that gets done. Yeah, the the how do you actually be effective with this as a method? It's there, and my for the for the listeners, kind of the my two minute version of design thinking of do a really good job of defining the problem brainstorm a whole ton of possible solutions, work, prioritize which ones you want to invest in and come up with within a constraint a test the feasibility of those ideas and then bless the ones you want to move forward. And so it's kind of a form of design thinking in a nutshell and being a part of service design, which has many hundreds of practices, there's lots of different variants on this and different ways of going about it. But I always think of it, how do you come up with feasible idea how do you come with ideas which you can test as feasible that you can move into the rest of your process and this this happens before a lot of the sort of earlier agile design pieces typically so before you start to go and build mvps even when we're thinking about what we're going to do i mean i think from the way you're describing that peter it starts with understanding the customer or the end user the prospective end user and the problems that they're experiencing and doing whatever it is that we're offering them a product or service to do. And as soon as you start with that the, and then move into the solution design piece, I think one of the big headwinds that you hit almost immediately is by definition, so many of the people involved in product delivery have perspective with their own cognitive biases, which we talked about before, that they bring to the table. So it's the, the the findings that come out of you know a quite an analytical approach about we need to do a b and c are often interpreted or beaten down by opinions and experience and so on from a different perspective that's the headwind almost that those changes come into yeah and and, and this i think is where we start to struggle because we've got got great idea I've got this really innovative way that we could go about uh, solving this problem and i and i've done some initial testing that it's it's feasible we could try this and why don't we go and try it and then you hit those headwinds which is well no we've we've got this entire platform over here that does that like uh, no we, we, we don't need these pieces no why would we do that it's like uh, and so that the work that goes into that isn't necessarily going to get consumed and built into the organization right it's and we've seen this at scale in organizations but i think there's also this sort of smaller scale usage design thinking in in the more teams or areas where it also struggles to get this outside of the the whole and i i remember now where we've talked about this before when we talked about um innovation and innovation departments and and so i think i think there's a huge piece which is we need to get into our heads that we need to continually be questioning what we're building and 
whether or not what we're building is solving a real problem. And if it does solve a real problem, is it solving it sufficiently well that people are kind of drawn to it? And this is where that whole concept of product market fit comes in and whether or not what your product is, what it delivers is fits to a real customer need or a customer pain point. That whole process of continuously questioning things, which design thinking, the original design thinking concept and what's been you know, repackaged in a number of different ways, such as Google's innovation sprint format and things like this. There's a lot of different ways of all doing the same thing, which is bringing that conversation around the customer and really understanding that coming in. And I think one of the key takeaways is we should be doing that whole process as a habit within the teams continuously. How do we build that in as a as a muscle that we use all the time? Yeah. And and if you don't, because and if you don't, then the problem is that uh, if it happens elsewhere, then taking those ideas and actually testing them into the market becomes very difficult. It's the because you can't do the next piece and it becomes almost wasted effort if it just happens in isolation. So it, making it a habit, something that we always do, we're always looking at what are the different ways we could approach this. Um, hey, we've, we've got a problem here that we want to solve. Um, let's have a process which we go through to uh, come up with ideas of how we might go about solving that and, and also testing which of those ideas might actually be feasible for us to try. Well, and, and it comes into because as you're describing that i'm just thinking that first of all there are there are brand new products in brand new fields take the time to go and go through that whole process that's definitely there's a lot of value in that side of things and i think what we were talking about about creating that sort of habitual step or the the mental muscle that we want to continuously use is to always be challenging how we make those changes and what that brings to mind is transparent. We need to be able to measure it. And it's a risk problem. We can't, because I'm thinking user experience teams, they can often, certainly we're seeing this more where they, they're they either um, disconnected from the delivery teams and they're often slowing down the work because they want to go and do user experience on the whole process. And I think there's a risk management piece conversation to be had where you, how do we change that more quickly by identifying which elements are most likely to benefit from a deeper dive in terms of user user experience. So balancing things correctly there. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think this is this is a critical piece. If you, especially if you can get this into that uh, UX space, I was talking about that earlier. There was a the conversation around consistency and saying the, the the closer the user you are, the more consistent the experience needs to be. So when you go user experience, you want a consistent experience. It's like. There are definitely products I interact with in the marketplace where I find myself switching between different parts of the product and I find a totally different experience and it makes navigating much harder. And uh, you can definitely feel it when a product has been built by different areas and then glued together afterwards. And there isn't that consistent user experience as you move through the product. For sure. I mean, it, this is one of those things that we kind of circle around quite a, a bit. Maybe we're trying to break things down into sort of two or three areas. One of them is brand new product, brand new space that's being investigated. I really like that formulaic, invest the time, pull people together. And it's costly. It really is what we're talking about. That's something that has a high high cost to actually pull together, but a huge value, especially if, obviously if it works and you come up with something that is that is really unique and, and solves a problem in a, in a different way. But then there's the habitual piece. 
how do you how do you raise all of the all of those involved in delivering a product to continuously be challenging themselves? And it's a little bit like in previous previously we'd have talked about that around quality. How do you get everybody to be thinking about quality? Quality is not one person's responsibility with a particular role or skill. Quality is everybody's responsibility. And in many ways, this whole idea is design usability is everybody's responsibility it's not that one role or skill set yeah it reminds me of a a cto that i used to work for who came in with the into the organization with exactly that message that uh, yeah every, quality is everybody's problems but he didn't actually come in with any real solutions for it <laughs> though i i think we did end up with some design thinking but i'm not sure if the two things were connected <laughs> It was, it was, and and that I think was a part of the problem. It was uh, like a one-off session on design thinking versus a well, okay, if if we want quality to be a part of what we do and want to think about things and constantly challenge how we're approaching problems, what what are the the mechanisms we're putting into the organization to encourage that to happen? And uh, it's because one thing to stand at the front and on a podium and utter the words it's another thing to actually think about the the actual processes and practices that need to be in place well and i think it's a as, as nearly every conversation we have it's ultimately a cultural change some sort of a you know a mindset shift so as you're describing that experience with the with the incoming executive what i was thinking is two things kind of jump to mind one is data and information we fundamentally design but also quality in the same kind of uh, space requires a really short feedback loop. The quicker I find out that there's a defect affecting customers' experience, whether it's a quality problem or whether it's maybe some interruption in the in the user experience, the quicker we learn from it, we can build on it. But that information needs to be shared with everybody so that everyone can sort of see it and understand the impact of it. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, I mean, I think that's another key element of it as well. One one of the nice things about those processes is that it does give you that opportunity to bring everybody together. There's a there's a similarity to some of the exercises we do from a mapping perspective when we do things like value stream mapping is bringing people together, getting them to talk about uh, the entire problem set in the system, um, but in just a different domain, really, in the, with and with a few less steps and elements involved in it. But it's essentially a, a similar type of concept, getting us to come together, share ideas, collaborate on what solutions might be. And then that in turn can then feed into uh, other aspects of the system. Well, but it's you raise an interest. So if, if you if you step into that mindset, then I've certainly seen, I'm sure you've seen this as well, where everything becomes open to interpretation and open to to change. And yet the point that you just made around consistency means that actually one of the the rules that has to come in, or we have to recognize that at some point, this thing, whatever it is, isn't going to change. We're going to hold it firm for whatever it is, six months, a year, three months, whatever, but we're not going to keep iterating on every element just because somebody has a feeling that that's what they should do. A little bit like from a quality perspective, again, I think that analogy is working quite well, but from a quality perspective, there's some elements of your systems that you're just going to ignore the quality of. It's rare that there's a problem there. So from a risk management side, we can't we can't make everything 100% perfect. We have to we have to understand where to spend the time. And one of the things that I find interesting is there's very little conversation about the impact of poor 
design and usability. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree. And in a, a related conversation I was having earlier today was around scaling in a in a startup where they they were asking a question like, how do you know when to scale the system? And so, well, you you'd need to be able to look ahead, work out what it what is it going to take for me to be able to scale it, and then work. I need this amount of time to work out what I'm going to need to do. And that starts to build up. At what point do I have to be able to make a decision? And now I've got to make sure everybody's on the same page so that we're um, able to have those points that we know, okay, we're onboarding a new customer that's going to bring in the, this more, this much more demand into my system. What am I going to need to do? When, are, when do I need to know so that I can start to make those decisions about how I'm going to scale? And, and then, Thinking too about uh, at some point you will hit a point where the current architecture or design, if you're lucky, like this is a good problem to have that the current architecture and that you have is not going to support the ongoing growth of the system, and you'll have to rethink it. So that, and I, I think this does tie into that piece around people don't spend the time thinking through what that what those points might be like like when am I going to need to know this how do I put those points in how do I start to look at what I'm doing either from a from a UX or scaling or a quality perspective how do I how do I know that things aren't going in the right direction and that I am at a point to be able to make the right decisions and there's a whole there's some really interesting stuff around leadership on this one because Part of it is strategy, is looking ahead and making decisions with poor information, low levels of information, but making you know some sort of call on what's going to be the next area of improvement or whatever it might be. But there's another element of the leadership, which is helping people recognize that we want them to challenge things. We want them to bring, you know, to interpret the data, make suggestions for changes over here, but we don't want them to spend time and effort and money over here. So again, I remember one organization where we had, it was, uh, they were delivering a sort of a social media platform, one of the many sort of networking apps, which are out there. And there was a real push to try and go into China because obviously China has, you know, 1.x billion people. And so any sort of network thing is going to explode in theory, if you put it in front of 1.x billion people, but with no understanding that the cost and the strategic implication that had and all the rest of it that comes with it. So that's an example of where we don't want to change that element. What we want to change is, you know, usability things and how we can send messages backwards and forwards or whatever else may be involved in that. So how do we kind of keep people focused on the right areas where they can use that, you know, innovation muscle? Yeah, and I think this actually, this brings a, an interesting piece as we start to think of the the feasible ideas that we bring out of design thinking into implementation that we're looking to do and how, and then saying, well, do those things uh, that we have aligned to the objectives that we've set and are we going in the right direction and will how will those ideas impact those like if we have defined a set of objectives and we've got an idea of how we're going to measure the success in those areas how will these these ideas we're coming up with how are they going to tie into helping us achieve those objectives yeah you know as you're describing that one of the things that strikes me is what we're really talking about is like deeply collaborative high levels of communication in on a team whatever that team might be where everybody has a different perspective but being able to really handle the conversation that goes on because if you think about something like that if i imagine some of the scenarios we've talked about somebody somewhere is going to say dave that's an idiotic idea they may not put it across like that mm-hmm. but they go, that is not where we're going 
right? So, I'm, we and how do you have those conversations? Well, part of it is you practice, or respectively, of course. Um, but but a lot of it is you practice. You have these conversations over and over again. But you're also individually, you've got to take the the note that sometimes my idea is is the wrong one. It's not the one we're going to go through. I'm going to take Peter's idea as as whatever I may think of it. That the consensus is that's where we have to go, and I have to now implement it fully. 100% behind where that direction is. I, I, this very topic came up earlier today too. And, uh, and the two of the other pieces that I added to that were around uh, have the agreement up front, as you say, practice it, but like have the agreement. How are we going to deal with conflict as a team? How, as how, when we interact, like how, what are the protocols that if we have in place if I totally disagree with what you're saying? <laughs> what we, like, what is it? Again, again. Yeah. <laughs> And so like, how are we going to handle that is, is a, is a key piece. And a, another one that I threw out there is, uh, don't just have conversations about the work. Make sure you're having other conversations too, either socially or, um, outside of it so that there are, that there's opportunity to disagree on in a safer space so that when it's absolutely critical that you do need to disagree, you feel comfortable doing so. Well, We've had quite a meandering conversation here. We have. <laughs> I feel like somehow we slowly brought it back to the point that we started with, which was that dilution effect of coming up with something through a design thinking process, but that seeing that idea dilute as it got executed. How are we going to wrap this one up? I'm going to give it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good question because I, I agree. We, we covered a lot of, of uh, ground here today. Um, so, so starting with that, that original the piece we talked like effective design thinking, like the the tying in that it, it can happen at different areas. That there's this piece where where I liked what you're talking about around there's design thinking on the big hairy scary problem that we're we want to solve how government delivers service to a particular constituent, and that the big problems that we're looking to solve versus hey, I've within the team, I want to rethink how we're approaching this. Like, what does that look like? And using this as a process um, and making it a habit to to challenge ideas, to think about um, how might we do this differently, bringing in uh, that so that we're not, we're, we are not just looking at things uh, once and then just executing blindly um, without going back and maybe thinking, okay, how could we solve this in a different way? Is this the right way to go about it? And so I like that. So so what would you add? I think I just, um, there's a lot that we kind of bounced around on, but I think one of the sort of really nice things that we ended up closing with is, is and, and it's really to do with, with shortening everything. So we have to learn to work with one another and we have to therefore practice that conversation of, I think, being innovative and bringing things to the table informed by data, informed by an appreciation and an understanding of what's there, but also being comfortable not pursuing that idea, like continue and actually accepting other ideas. And I think that's, it's like you said, it's that social fabric in there as well. It's how do you, because you practice, you know, the, the teams that we've worked on the best, I'm sure we've had this experience, is the ones that you you really have a, a deep connection with over time. Lots of conversations, lots of, of respectful, but no doubt passionate con- discussions around topics. Yes, yeah, indeed. Uh, so, so with that, thank you as always, Dave, for a great conversation. 
And uh, if anybody wants to reach out, they can at feedback at definitelymaybeagile.com. And don't forget to hit subscribe. We like subscribers. Subscribers are fun. Until next time, Peter. Thanks again. Until next time. You've been listening to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sherrick, focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale. Thank you.